But I definitely made a, a concerted effort in the past couple of decades, really since I started at Empire or, or soon after, to start reading other voices and to start trying to be aware of, you know, voices of like people of color and, uh, you know, people of, with disabilities and, you know, try and look at perspectives that are not my own and try and kind of hear those. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Conversation. I'm Brandon T. McClure, as always, here to shepherd you on this journey of fandom discovery. Um, Today is a really exciting episode, I think, as I'm talking to Helen O'Hara of the Empire Podcast. I've been lucky to meet a lot of really uh, great celebrities throughout my time on the Fake Nerd Podcast, such as Mark Guggenheim, Andrea Romano, Ken Knapsack, who you heard last week, and uh, Helen O'Hara is no exception. i a little starstruck that she actually said yes. It was kind of on a, on a lark. Uh, she agreed to come on the show before there were episodes out. I recorded this again probably mid-February. recorded a lot back then. And I told her what this was, and she, she said yes. Uh, and that was really it was really great of her. And I, and I cannot express how grateful I am that she decided to come on the show and talk to me about her fandom. If any of you are coming here from the Empire podcast, um, then you know who she is. But if, if not, uh, you know, she is the uh professed geek queen on that show she a uh, huge supernatural fan huge marvel fan uh star wars she's a, she's just like us she has a lot to say um about fandom there is some snyder talk cuz she had she often got the ire of the what we call in the fake podcast the snyder cult so if you're a little sensitive towards that on either side of the aisle no no shame here um there is a little bit of content warning i guess i guess for that but we talk more than that. We talk about her time on the Empire Magazine, on the Empire Podcast, how it rejuvenated her, how she got started in film journalism. Um, as you know, if you listen to this, she started as a lawyer and then she went to Empire Empire Magazine. So kind of a kind of a fun trajectory there. As always, you can find all the links to her to where you can find her down below in the description, as well as a link to her books. Uh, I'll have linked those below as well. And again, I cannot thank Helen enough. I cannot thank the audience enough for listening to this podcast. I've been getting some pretty good um, analytics from this so far. And again, I am just so grateful that Helen O'Hara was okay to come on the show. A little bit of a note before I get into it. What last thing? I'm very tired (laughs) when I recorded this. Um, I had woken up at 7 a.m. because of the time difference between us. I'm in California. She's in uh, England. And I, uh, it, it, you can tell. My voice is shot and I mumble a lot, but I think that what she takes, what she brings to the table more than makes up for my uh, interview short failings. Uh, but again, I was happy to do it because it was just so wonderful that I got to talk to her. Um, I've wanted to for a long time. Uh, and, you know, enough about me babbling. Uh, here she is, Helen O'Hara from the Empire Podcast. I hope you guys like it and I'll see you on the other side. Okay, I am here with journalist, author, geek queen herself, Helen O'Hara. Hello. Thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Um, so I wanted to get a quick, because uh, my my future self has already done the intro, so uh, the audience <laughs> know a lot more right now, but I want to give uh, the audience kind of a background. So how sure. long have you been in film journalism? Uh, I have been in this game since, God, 2003, which makes me feel incredibly old now. Um, I originally trained as a barrister, like a, a litigator, mm-hmm. and um, and immediately gave up because I was bored. Uh, like, literally, as soon as I qualified, like, I'm out of here. And, uh, and, yeah, was lucky enough to get an internship at Empire a couple of months later and was then in various roles on staff there for 11 years, and I've been kind of freelance ever since. Oh, wow. Very cool. Yeah. Um, and while there, you started the you you were on the Empire podcast. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how long have you been on that podcast? We've been doing that since 2012, mm-hmm. uh, which is probably about five years after we started talking about doing it. That that's about how long it takes us to get up and running on things um, sure. as a group. But uh, but yeah, so so 2012 we did the first one. We've just done our 
450th episode quite recently. So oh. it's that's official, like weekly episodes. Plus, we do interview specials, spoiler specials, end of the year roundups, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, it's 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 a lot of podcasts suddenly. Oh my god. Yeah, we uh, we just did 200 of the weekly podcast yeah. on on ours, and then we've also got like our fake nerds watch series and we've yeah. got our Facebook arcade series and we got all sorts of all sorts of different podcasts so it suddenly it, adds up doesn't it it suddenly it like really does wow there's where my life went jeez yeah we had we had one time where uh we have a small following on youtube and and really quickly we got to 100 followers on youtube and then we ended up having 100 videos up on youtube within like six months so it just kept piling up anyway. Yeah. Um, okay. So what essentially brought you to film journalism, like your fandom? So this show is all mm. about fandoms and um, and kind of your relationship with it. So it's really important to understand um, how, what of your fandom brought you to film journalism, brought you to the Empire podcast? I mean, yeah, it was kind of the the dream job like empire really because i'd been reading it for years since the 90s probably mid 90s i guess i started seriously picking it up every single month when i started kind of getting into film and kind of training myself up in film i mean i grew up you know watching all of the the spielberg films that's probably my like i guess that's one of my first fandoms i mean it's that star wars and honestly, My Little Pony and Care Bears, because I'm of that generation, right? So those were big for me. I'm not, of, I don't know the Friendship is Magic incarnation quite so much. It was the old ponies when I was little. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I just, I was, I was just into all of that. And I wasn't, it wasn't a specific fandom. You know, I didn't start off, like Empire's quite a general magazine, obviously. So it's film. Mm -hmm. So really, um, that kind of open my eyes to things that I hadn't particularly known about. So really I used Empire through the 90s as a kind of a, a guide to getting into film. These are the films I should have seen, you know, these are the ones I should be aware of. So it was kind of a quite generalist entry, I guess, rather than a particular comic book or, or movie fandom. Right. Um, I, yeah, I think it's, yeah, so I don't know about, I'm trying to be more specific and I don't, no, it's no, fine. I, yeah. Because film is a, film is a fandom. Film, fandom. Yeah, yeah, you're right, absolutely. So I've yeah, fandom. Yeah, yeah. I've spoken about that before. Like a lot of people just don't realize because film is such a general thing. Mm -hmm. Like you, you, it, it can be just your fandom to be in film. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I do know that I, I'm aware of, because I listen to the Empire podcast. I'm aware that you're in the supernatural fandom. Obviously, yeah, like that's Marvel true. That's and, true. Yeah, Marvel uh, very much these days. Um, and I, I still, you know, Star Wars, still Spielberg, you know, still those kind of old, old school things. I'm a, I'm a big reader as well. So a lot of like fancy series is uh, as well. Mm -hmm. Fancy and a little bit of sci-fi, but people like um, Diana Wynne-Jones and Julian May and uh, Neil Gaiman inevitably. And, you know, Terry Pratchett particularly, who I know isn't quite as big in the US as he is here in the UK, but mm -hmm. seriously, Terry Pratchett, one of the great writers of our time. Um, and yeah, so people like that. So I, I have all of those kind of bubbling away in the background as well and kind of seeping their way into my personality as a result. Right. Um, okay, so, so basically what I'm always so interested in is how the, and I, I came up with this idea three years ago when I was in a very different place as far as like my fandom goes. Mm. Um, so I'm always interested in how, how the, essentially the podcast like altered your view of fandoms because you end up being so much more in tune with mm. everything around it. And obviously you're in film journalism, which means you kind of know some more of the behind the scenes stuff that's going on because you report on it a lot. Um, and you talk to creators and you talk to other fans. So kind of a general sense, I'll ask this just a general question first and then we'll get into the minutia. Uh, how did the, how did that kind of alter your view for the negative or the positive mm. going forward? Well, quite a lot uh, to talk about there. So, I mean, first of all, yeah, I, I had to kind of almost learn the pass keys to some of this stuff, you know, mm. You almost have to prove yourself, I think, getting into film journalism. I think anybody has to do it, but I think particularly women had to do it. And I think I'm sure particularly people of color also have to do it. You have to almost prove that you know, you know, the cast of Predator off the top of your head or, you know, the the, the kind of 
not just the obvious quotes, not just, you know, the, the Star Wars lines about who your father is and stuff like that, but the, the more obscure stuff that's almost like a, a proof of your credentials. So you right. kind of have to, and a lot of that I genuinely did know and I genuinely did have that knowledge, but there was an element of building that up and sort of proving it to myself and to others that I had it and, and having it at the tip of my fingers to be able to use because, you know, you, you you listen to the podcast, you know my colleagues, but somebody like Chris Hewitt, somebody like James Dyer, they genuinely can, off the top of their heads, name that dude who played the general who comes in in the third act of that movie that time. You know, they really right. do know that kind of stuff off the top of their heads. And certainly coming in, I didn't necessarily recognize J.T. Walsh's name as well as I recognized his face or, a, you know... Um, I was about to say J. Jonah Jameson, but J.K. Simmons at that point, you know, wasn't quite as well known. So yeah. people like that, being able to like reel those names off the top of your head, knowing those people just at a glance, uh, that kind of thing was something that I had to sort of make sure I had, because um, I think I had gaps, certainly in my knowledge. And I'm always trying to fill up gaps in my knowledge because, you know, everybody has them. Nobody knows everything. There's right. too many films. There's too many films. I can't keep up. Um so there was an element of that and there was an element then of, of learning how to navigate online as well. You know, back when I started was kind of the height of the ain't it cool uh, news sort of phenomenon. And, you know, so I, I'd kind of dip my toes into those waters and sort of learned about that side of fandom, kind of educated myself through some of those pieces as well, because they, they had some very, very good writers there as well as some very, very bad ones. <laughs> um, and and I'd started kind of like dipping my toe into that internet side of things. And of course, when I started at Empire, we had a very active forum back in those days. And, you know, I kind of, again, had to engage with those people and navigate a way through uh, that kind of subculture as well. Um, but I do think fandoms are particularly interesting. I mean, there, there's something I kind of wrote by, I just wrote this book and, and about women in Hollywood. And it is one of the things I kind of looked at because there is an element of gatekeeping in fandoms where people who have, uh, you know, made it part of their personality and part of their kind of culture, it's almost like a religion for some fandoms. Um, they, they can be quite territorial in a way that is unhelpful. And so I've been trying to, I guess, navigate that, understand that and navigate it and not become one of those people as far as possible you know, because I don't want to keep anybody out. I think the point of fandom should be sharing them, not, you know, guarding the gates. Yeah, 100%. I always felt the same way. Um, I used to work at a comic book store and it's, the comic book fandom can get quite... Really uh, heated. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's, that, it, that's the thing, that's the, that's the double-edged sword of fandom is that you, you want to try to uh, be as inclusive as you can, but you, you essentially get tested. Mm -hmm. You do, yeah. On yeah. it, especially being being a, a woman in, in journalism and, and podcasting, and um, and it's unfortunate that you 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 had to feel the way that you had to feel that way to like prove your credentials in a way. <laughs> yeah, you, you kind of do, but I, I like I get it because I'm I'm very very privileged to have this job and to do the work that I do, and I should have this knowledge. Like, and I'm you know I I know I do have a lot more than than when I started off with, um, and I had a pretty good base then but I, you know I kind of get it to an extent but what I, th I think is a shame is it's not just me it's people who you know don't work I work in a very geeky sphere Empire is very much a, you know part of this culture where we do engage with comic book movies seriously and we do engage with these action movies seriously and that kind of thing um, but even people who you know write for sort of serious intellectual film journals you know are, are kind of being tested on this stuff in a way that kind of makes no sense because that's not what they do that's not the, the level in which they're engaging with this stuff so there's a, there's some really weird stuff going on and then there's the toxicity there there is there are some really really toxic fandoms out there and they uh i think they feel a sense of being persecuted and they therefore lash out at any perceived negativity to a degree that is unfair yeah and unhelpful ultimately i remember oh i think this might be years ago now where you got you got kind of attacked online for the snyder cut yeah yeah i did yeah well honestly okay so 
so I got first of all, I I made fun of a single line in Batman v Superman, which I still maintain is a stupid line, and that got me like a week of abuse online. But fine, it, it went away. I tend to argue with the trolls instead of immediately blocking them. But honestly, for certain fandoms, I now immediately block. Um, yeah. And that was fine. And then about a year later, I was asked by another publication to write about the Snyder Cut. And having had that run in before, I was like, I mean, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to err on the side of caution here and be quite generous to them. And I wrote about their charitable efforts, which are considerable and which are very commendable. Um so I highlighted all of that. I talked to some of their kind of leaders and, and you know put their quotes in and put their point of view across. And I think the only item of kind of Snyder cut orthodoxy, if you will, that I in any way disagreed with in that piece was that I said that, that their belief was that the film was 95% complete. That was a quote from Zack Snyder. And I said, well, I, I, I'm sure he said that and I'm sure he meant that. I don't think he can have meant 95% VFX complete because it was six months out from release when he left. And, you know, I, I know how these things work. That There's no way it was 95% VFX complete on a four hour director's cut six months before release. Right. When that wasn't the cut they were planning to release in cinemas like that, just that's not possible, basically. Yeah. And I talked to some VFX sources who said essentially the same thing. So that was the only element of their orthodoxy that I questioned. And I said, look, as a result of that, you're either looking at releasing a quote, a, a cut with you know, some sort of unfinished, maybe storyboarded sequences, or you're looking at spending tens of millions of dollars to finish this thing off. Mm. So I got two weeks of abuse and death threats and everything for saying that because I was a lying bitch because I suggested that that wasn't the case. But I, I hadn't called him a liar. I just said, look, I think you've misunderstood what he means as a filmmaker by 95% complete because he means mm. he's got a 95% finished edit. That's a different thing. Um, and so I wasn't calling anyone a liar. I was just suggesting that this was maybe a misunderstanding. And uh, and yeah, like literally two weeks of abuse um, for that. And, you know, not being funny, but like history has proven me entirely right on that score. They've spent $70 million on this film to get it into yeah. a releasable state. So, uh, yeah, they, they are a particularly... Uh, tribal fandom and a particularly uh, prickly one. I, I understand that they've had huge disappointments in their, you know, in their film loving life uh, with this film, but uh, as well as their very commendable, you know, efforts for charity and their successful campaign to get this thing released, which has enormously buoyed a filmmaker who I like and who I have met and, and think highly of, uh, they, they are also like really dickish to people sometimes. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. there you go. I have been on the other side of their ire as well. Um, nowhere near as bad because I, I tend to just ignore them most of the time. Yeah, I uh, do argue back, which, you know, I think often is a, a successful tactic because uh, one of my prime uh, tactics is to be incredibly patronizing, um, which they don't tend to like trolls as a, as a species. Um but, uh, you know, probably shouldn't. And I have gotten to the point. Now, I, I used to not block and not mute people as a point of pride. And now I've been like, you know what? Life is too short. Get out of here. You know? So, yeah, I, I'm a little bit less hardline than I used to be. What um, what kind of compelled you to engage with the trolls? Not just Snyder trolls, but like mm. uh, trolls in general. Um, I, I think I, I genuinely think it's uh, quite a successful tactic a lot of the time because I have been known to essentially scare them off by arguing back. Mm. Um, not just saying you're stupid, that doesn't work, but like saying, but, but that doesn't make any sense because of X, Y, and Z. And then sometimes you do get people who go, oh, I hadn't thought of it that way. And that's kind of satisfying. And you would hope that they would then think about it twice before engaging with someone else who had less time to argue with them. Mm -hmm. So um, so sometimes it genuinely, I think, can be quite effective in actually reminding them that you're human and that you actually, you know, are a person as well as a, you know, annoyance on the internet and I, I think a lot of trolldom relies on a kind of dehumanization process where they just stop seeing you as a person that's why they they talk about people being blue ticks it's mm. like no it's still a person they may have a blue tick because they need it for professional reasons but they're still a person at the end of the day and you're still being a horrible 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 person to them so maybe mm. don't be um so I don't know I just I do find it quite effective sometimes to actually engage but when you're getting those kind of mass pylons 
of like hundreds of people just saying the same nonsensical thing you know it just takes up too much of your time and you have to kind of give up eventually yeah it can be kind of maddening uh mm. surely even um what's the word i'm looking for uh depressing i mean yeah i guess i, I got depressed when I, I i did one time get into a you know weekend-long argument with a bunch of men's rights activists and i just find it really depressing that they genuinely believed what they believed you know sure. that they genuinely thought that I think feminism was some kind of conspiracy against them. And they genuinely thought that, that they all had the same three arguments that kept coming up over and over again. You know, there was such a limited uh, life experience and such a limited scope of their reading. And they just kind of been swayed by this very, very thin uh, selection of, of facts and in inverted commas that I find that really depressing just because I thought it, it's really upsetting that there are people who, I think, you know, stuff has gone wrong in their lives. They probably had bad experiences of some sort. And then they've been swept up in this kind of little corner of the internet and presumably find community there and find friendship there. Um, and also find these these lies and this this blinkered worldview that doesn't involve any outside influence. And they some of them, some of them I did feel like I was having a conversation with and that was encouraging, but many of them just felt like they were just brainwashed to an extent. And that was kind of upsetting to see um but yeah with the snyder people like you know again some of them i did have a perfectly reasonable conversation with and i sort of you know was set setting up my my kind of argument in that sense i was like look when a filmmaker says i'm 95 percent finished with the edit what they mean is they're 95 percent finished with the editing that doesn't mean the picture is locked you know so i was kind of having that conversation and that was an interesting conversation and we had genuine back and forth but it's when the people who are just shouting at you over and over again you know, you're a bit like, I mean, I can't get through to you. And there's, there's no point in having this, this talk. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that they kind of find community. And one of the things I think is really interesting in fandom is that, is that we, we try to find communities within our fandoms yeah. to um, kind of create echo chambers. Mm -hmm. Like things that like my, my podcast, we, there's four of us and we all think most of the same thing. And we just talk about what we love and how much we love it. Um, is that something that's important to you or do you want to, or do you try to expand uh, and go outside of that echo chamber and find other things? I, I definitely try and make sure I don't have an echo chamber too much. Um, I, I like, I don't, well, I, I do to an extent, I don't always necessarily go looking for trouble in the sense of looking for people who are just going to slag off things I like, because there's no pleasure to be had in that. Yeah. But I definitely made a, a concerted effort in the past couple of decades, really since I started at Empire or, or soon after, to start reading other voices and to start trying to be aware of, you know, voices of like people of color and, uh, you know, people of, with disabilities and, you know, try and look at perspectives that are not my own and try and kind of hear those because I feel like, uh, it's, first of all, it, it's the decent and best thing to do. You sh you know, we should be trying to, to hear other voices, but also because, you know, it is something that I'm, mostly been missing in my professional life I've mostly worked with white people they have mostly been middle class mostly able-bodied you know and mm -hmm. I, I sort of feel that lack um and and I hope that it it you know makes me a little bit more thoughtful and a little bit slower to uh you know stereotype or anything else so I've I've definitely tried to do that I'm sure not always successfully but you know just to be a bit more aware and LGBT issues as well and stuff. I've had to do a lot of reading on that because, you know, I'm straight and cis and I didn't understand a lot of the stuff that, that kind of went into it. So um, just to, to use the right terminology, very basic things, mm -hmm. you know, if, if we're in this position, privileged position where we're writing and talking about films, the, the very least we can do is make sure we get people's pronouns right and make sure we understand why that matters and, you know, this kind of stuff. So um so that's the kind of getting out of my own echo chamber that I tend to do. I don't so much go looking for um, people to tear down stuff that I love because I'm fairly confident in my choices in that respect. Right. You know, I mean, definitely I'm, I'm here for conversations about and, and even, you know, within something like Marvel, which broadly speaking, a lot of us, not all of us, but a lot of us at Empire love, mm -hmm. there will be differences of opinion. Uh, you know, I think Ant-Man and the Wasp is pretty trashy. Uh, Chris loves it. So, you know, we have a little bit of difference even on that. I'm sorry, I've, I've, I've offended and hurt you. I apologize. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> we are, uh, all of us at the podcast are huge Ant-Man and the Wasp fans. 
Oh my goodness. Okay, it's just me. It's just me. No, that's fine. Like you said, everybody <laughs> has different opinions. Everybody does, you know. When when Jimmy Woo shows up in WandaVision with doing his card trick, I, I flip. Oh, that was that excited. was super good. Yeah. yeah. Oh no, the, look, I'm not saying there's no good stuff in it. I'm just saying I was overall disappointed. So. And I remember your your review of it, and I totally understand the the point of view you're coming from. And I, I in fact agree. I just really like the movie. Yeah, no. Well, this is the thing. I mean, this is this is the other thing that I think people who get upset about people like me, let's be honest, talking mm-hmm. about you know being social justice warriors in that in that awful internet term and things like that. You know, I may say that film is lacking in some way in its depiction of women or it's, you know, it's diversity or it's consideration of LGBT issues or whatever else is out there. I may point that out when I'm discussing it and when I'm reviewing it. It doesn't mean I hate the film. You know, Predator is one of my all-time favorite films and there is no further film from passing the Bechdel test you know I adore the hunt for Red October and there's like three women in that film and they're all in the first five minutes and they have about a collective two lines <laughs> I don't care I love it you know so it's it's just I'm pointing these things out because they matter and there's something we should talk about not because you know I'm a rabid feminazi who wants to tear down the world right and uh yeah so well, it, at least I know, don't think I am well and at the end of the day like you're 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 paid to give your opinion on these things like this is if that's your opinion that's yeah your opinion but then and again this is something I kind of talked about in the book so forgive me if I'm repeating myself but this is a particular thing with female critics and and I think it's a particular reason that there are fewer female critics than men which is that women are not socially encouraged to give opinions like not definite opinions like where should we go for dinner you know there's no particular downside to saying oh well would you mind going to here tonight but if you're if you're saying this thing is bad, this thing is good, like some men take that as a direct personal attack, like it's it's upsetting to them in some visceral level that they're not always aware of. I think on a on a sort of conscious level that that this woman would dare to dislike and judge something that they love, mm-hmm. and it can feel like a personal attack. Particularly, you know, I think particularly when women do it as opposed to when men other men do it. And I talked to a lot of other female journalists about this, and I think we've all had it to an extent where there's this, you know, of course, male critics get get kind of grief too for giving bad opinions or good opinions to things that other people don't like, whichever you can get. Yeah, well, I wasn't going to mention it, but yes. Um, but this particular kind of attack line, which says you're not qualified to have this mm. opinion, you're not allowed to voice it. That's a particular thing that's thrown at women quite a lot, a surprising amount. And and I think that does go back to the fact that socially, like if you, if you have a conversation with a girlfriend or a, a sister or whoever, I mean, you will find women couch their opinions often much more carefully than men do. Men are encouraged to have these outrageously unnuanced, you know, blinkered, like black and white, hard line opinions on stuff. And women are often really not encouraged to do that. And I'm sure you can find, you know, um, counter examples in your own lives. There, there, were, there are women who are very good at giving opinions like me, but there are a lot of women who kind of hold back and who don't want to be too confrontational, too aggressive. And these are the words that get thrown at us. I've been called belligerent for giving my opinions on stuff. And it's just like, that's literally my job. Mm-hmm. That, that is what I have to do. So, you know, I don't know what to tell you. But um, yeah. There, that's, where the, um, that's where the that's where the attack, like you don't understand this thing. Oh, I've literally been told, yeah, um, Ghost, Ghost Rider 2 isn't for me. And I can't understand it enough to review it. It's like, dude, it's Ghost Rider too. I, I feel like I'm up to it. <laughs> That's not a very good movie. It's really not. <laughs> but, you know, especially it is, again, it's the comic book movies, it's the action movies. Yeah. If I don't like those, then it's my fault. It's not the movie's fault. And, like, I'm sorry, I also gave Avengers Endgame five stars. So, like, I, I don't know what to tell you here. I adore Crank. I love Predator. I mean, I like good action movies. I like good comic book movies. I just, you know, didn't like Joker, for example. So, right. yeah, I, uh, I don't understand the 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 understanding argument because I, I, I that's been lobbied at me too when it comes to like the Snyder cut because I'm hard against Zack Snyder's version <clears throat> of the DC universe and like I keep being told that I don't understand. It's like, well, I mean, it's 
so it's yeah. not good. It's not working for me. Yeah. At yeah. The end of the day, that's what the doll is. It's what an opinion is whether or not the thing works for you. Exactly. I mean, look, I'm, I'm, I am genuinely interested to see the Snyder Cut. I think it's fascinating that we get this chance to see what it looks like. Um, but I think I share some of your concerns about, you know, Superman and Batman in that universe and, and the way they've been depicted. And I, yeah, I have my own views on what Superman is and should be. And while I, I recognize that there are differences of artistic opinion you can have, I feel like there are... El sometimes you can kind of lose the character, you know? Yeah. And I'm sure, look, I mean, I'm not enough of a hardcore Marvel fan to have taken offense at, say, Trevor Slattery, but I get the ones who did. Um, I think Shang-Chi is perhaps going to answer some of their concerns, so we'll see how that goes. I'm really excited for Shang-Chi. Mm, me too, yeah, I think it's going to be good. Um, but of course, I would say that I'm a shill for big Marvel yeah, or something, the, apparently. Have you ever gotten the um, the criticism that you're paid by Disney to give Marvel good, good I mean, reviews? Yeah, I've, oh, it's not just to give Marvel good reviews; it's to give DC bad reviews, apparently. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, no, I've I've had that line. I mean, I don't think they understand how we live. You know, <laughs> I'm here in an ex-council flat in southeast London. This is a non-glamorous part of town. You know, I mean, I I I don't know what to tell them. If Marvel is giving me money, I wish they'd address it to the right address because I was going to give it a good review anyway. So, I don't know. Probably be living in a better <laughs> in a better apartment. Oh, I mean, seriously, like if, you know, I genuinely got, got, um, I did get some balloons. I'm going to be completely upfront. Disney plus just launched that star thing, which is all their, you know, wider selection of movies and stuff here in the UK. And they sent some balloons and a bar of chocolates. Um, and I, you know, wanting to be upfront about this, put it on Twitter. Cause I'm like, Oh, look, I got some balloons and a bar of chocolate. Yeah. And, and I literally had people calling my journalistic integrity into question. And I'm like, I mean, if I was for sale for balloons and a bar of chocolate, like I would give nothing but good reviews. Like, what do you think I'm doing here? It's love crazy. to be for sale for balloons and a bar of chocolate. <laughs> that sounds great. Yeah. But I mean, this is all you have as a critic is your opinion is your, yeah. your taste. So if you did sell it, then you would have nothing. There would be no point to you. So it, it doesn't make any economic sense unless they are literally giving you a gold yacht and yeah. that's all you've ever wanted in life. Like, it it, it makes no sense. So the, the whole idea that there is this evil cabal of rich, elite journalists who are being paid not just to give good reviews, but to give other people bad reviews, like film is some binary, is so ridiculous um, and libelous, by the way, guys, here in the UK, just, just letting you know, anybody out there on the line, it is actually libel. I can tell you that because I was a lawyer. Um, so one of the things that, that, that happens when you're in a, just kind of switching gears, one of the things that mm -hmm. happens when you're uh, uh, in, in a podcast specifically, but you're in a, you're in a, a more, um, uh, high end's not the word, but I guess that's the kind of the general uh, attitude that I'm looking for. Um, a position is mm. that you become kind of a leader of, of fandom. You become kind of an authority in it. I, I mean, I, okay, I guess maybe I don't because in a sense yeah. you have a you have a voice where other people. Yeah, I mean, true. anybody can start a podcast, but like um, you, you have a voice that people look to for advice, for opinions. Mm. Um, to kind of help them figure out what their opinions could be. Because, you know, um, That's fair. Yeah. But, you know, questions like whether or not, like, how does this work? Like we go back to the Snyder cut analogy, mm -hmm. people might've been looking for you to do that kind of analysis on mm -hmm. what was actually the truth. And with in yeah. regards to the Snyder cut, how, how does that, how does that, have you ever considered that as like, um, when you were a kid and like the, when you were a kid reading empire magazine, did you ever think you'd be in that kind of position? I know this is going to sound like I did really didn't know what I was doing when I started Empire, which is probably true. But like, I it never really, I never really paid too much attention to who the journalists were. Like, I didn't, you know, at that point, I didn't particularly know people's names. I didn't particularly know what people did. I didn't really know. Like, one of the pieces of, of advice I always give people who are looking at work experience or trying to uh, pitch to Empire is to pitch to the relevant section editor. So the magazine is divided into reviews, news. Uh, features, you know, send it to the right person. I would not have known to do that myself. This is mm -hmm. a piece of information I'm giving other people, you know. So, um, so no, I wasn't particularly aware of that growing up. But I think now you're right. It is very much a thing just because we're all so much more in interconnected. You know, 
even when I started, yes, we had the forum and we got a lot of chat through there, but older readers would still write, physically write to the magazine more often than they'd send emails. Mm-hmm. And um, and so there was, you know, it was a, it was a slower and a much more uh, limited form of kind of intercommunication. Whereas now I will have conversations with people, some of whom I've met several times, Empire Events and live podcasts and things like that, and some of whom I've never met. Um, but I have regular chats with them on Twitter or whatever else. So, so yeah, I, I do try... I try not to just be a dick as far as possible, except with trolls. Obviously, I will absolutely be a patronizing dick to them. But generally speaking, like I'm, I just, I, I remember looking at my own Twitter feed very early on when I joined about, I don't know, whatever it was, 2009 or so, and and some other people that I followed. And I remember looking at a few different Twitter feeds one day and realizing how much kind of passive aggressive negativity there was just people bitching about things and I just thought I don't really want to do that I don't want that to be my sort of online voice all the time so I just try I'm not saying I don't bitch about things because I 100% do absolutely but I try that not to have this completely negative presence on Twitter and this completely cynical voice because that does get me down like endless cynicism actually I do find really really uh, depressing and also quite infantile I just think cynicism as a position, nihilism, I can, this is what you've probably heard me talk about this on the Empire podcast, but like the kind of the nihilism of something like Joker genuinely can fuck off. Like I hate it. I I hate it as an intellectual position. I find it pseudo intellectual at best. I just think it's whining entitled nonsense. So um, it doesn't do anyone any good to decide that the world is doomed and, and corrupt and like that doesn't help anyone. So until you come up with a more helpful position, just naff off and be quiet, uh, essentially. Anyway, that's my position on nihilists. Um, and, I, you know, the big Lebowski is with me, so I feel like I'm entitled to that. But um, but yeah, so I, I, I've tried to be a little bit more on the positive side. I'm not saying I always manage it, but that's kind of the aim. Yeah, that that is important for you to put out a yeah. positive voice. I mean, I'm not saying I'm, you know, I'm on Twitter, like raving about films I don't like, because that's not what I mean at all. But just like a lot of the time, if there's a film I particularly hate, apart from Joker, I will just ignore it uh, yeah. completely. And um, and a lot of the sort of snarkiness and kind of cynicism, I just try to avoid as far as possible, Ex- unless it's really funny. Okay, mm-hmm. in which case, like, totally. But um <laughs> But yeah, just generally, I, ju- I just feel like it's it's a very easy thing for critics to do because it's a lot of fun to write a negative review, to really just slate something. It's a lot of fun to write. It can be, when done well, a lot of fun to read. Mm-hmm. And and it's easier than a, a sort of a mixed review. The, the very hardest reviews to write are the mixed ones. A rave is really easy. A pan is really easy. And everything in between that requires some nuance is a bit harder. But that's where most films are. And yeah. it's certainly where most films deserve to be because, you know, even if a film was dreck, there were probably some really good people who worked really, really hard on it and, you know, deserve better than some teenage acting wannabe who's just snarking at everything. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, so I try at least to be vaguely positive or just I always, quiet. I always uh, kind of paraphrase. There's a line in The Last Jedi. I don't I don't know how you feel about The Last Jedi, but... Um, Interesting conversation, yeah. Uh, I, I, I love the movie, and there's a line specifically that Rose says, like, that's how we win, by saving mm. what we love. I always kind of paraphrase that and change yeah, it, like, celebrating true, what we love. Yeah, I think that's um, true. I think that's really important to just mm. kind of, you know, celebrate what you really like, you know, to put that voice out there and kind of, like, not really engage with the stuff that you don't like. It's what, yeah. life is short. I mean, like I say, I, I do sometimes fail, like with Joker. But generally speaking, that's that's kind of my position too. I think I think there is not enough of the positivity um, because it's not cool as well, you know. And I just think it's a bit sad and a bit teenage to think it's cooler to be negative on stuff and to to define yourself by what you don't like. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, Last Jedi, by the way, I, I was mixed on when I first saw it and it is the Star Wars film that has grown on me most every single time I watch it thereafter mm-hmm. so um and I think it's a crying shame and a bit of an outrage that they didn't build on it properly for the third one and basically tried to retcon most of it I think that's a that's a massive mistake but anyway everyone else knows this by now so that's where that's where I stand as well yeah I uh for you know for example we 
we reviewed a movie called Psycho Gorman on my on my podcast, um, which is a Shutter original. It's it's fun. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, I didn't care for it, but my friends loved it, and so I was like, so when that that happens, I make it a point that they should be the ones to talk. Mm-hmm. They should be the ones who get to share their love, and I should really take the step back because, like, what's the point in me just bashing on their on what they love? You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I'm with you on that. I think, like I say, there are times when. I just want to explain why I hated something. Yeah. But, um, and I think, you know, there is a, a a real room for that sometimes to just really go through and talk about what didn't work for you. And especially when you're having that conversation with people who loved it and you can have a genuine back and forth, I think that can be great. But, um, uh, but yeah, it just shouldn't be your default position for everything. You know, it just shouldn't be how you define your life because I think it will be bad in the long run just for your own ha- happiness and health. And kind of going back to like the fandom conversation, mm-hmm. it's exhausting to to kind of feel like your fandom is always in this negative space. Mm. I, I do think that's why you don't hear as many stories about toxic Marvel fandom right now as you do about other toxic fandoms. And I think it's just because Marvel fans have been pretty happy recently. You know, they've sure. been they've been pretty content with the films. There have definitely been things that they didn't like and definitely things that they had issues with. Um and and I think some Marvel actors have had a harder time than others, but generally speaking, they haven't been awful on mass. Um, and I think that is because they're happier. And I think Star Wars fans have had a rocky road for twenty years now, you know. So they're, um, they, yeah, they're a little bit, they're in a little bit of a tougher spot. But I don't know. And, and you know, obviously, Snyder Cut fans have genuine, genuine, genuine grievances, no question. Okay. Um, and and there is a genuine kind of disconnect between what DC tried to do and what DC has ended up doing that I think they're they're still kind of mourning to an extent. But um yeah, it it is it is difficult because I think there is that sense of collective frustration and looking for someone to blame sometimes. Mm-hmm. And you know, I don't think it's anybody's fault a lot of the time. And I think the problem the problem I have with with a lot of fandom anger is the same problem I have with a lot of bad reviews. You know, if you if you write a bad review, you're talking about the lead actor's performance, or you're talking about the script, or you're talking about the director, and you don't know the script that that person that that named person wrote may have been a freaking masterpiece, yeah. which was cut to ribbons by being rewritten by sixteen people who aren't credited. The director may have lost control of the final cut in the editing room had it taken away from them and be heartbroken about what's been put on screen under his or her name. And you don't know about that because their agent told them they couldn't take their name off because their career would be finished. You know, you don't know. We don't know. I don't know. Even as somebody who goes on set and stuff, I don't know these stories that go into this stuff. So you could be absolutely targeting the wrong person for a start. And in a way that just breaks somebody's heart. And I, you know, as far as possible, I don't want to be a part of that, you know, so so I think that's kind of the, you know, the downside of this kind of tribalism and this kind of, especially the kind of negative anger fueled tribalism. You, you really do risk lashing out with the wrong people. And, you know, a Kelly Marie Tran or somebody, my God, how dare they lash yeah. out at this girl? Even if you were so, even if you hate Rose as a character, she clearly isn't responsible for the creation of Rose. She clearly mm-hmm. isn't responsible for the decision to cast herself. Um, although obviously she didn't object to it. And why would she? She got the chance to appear in a Star Wars movie. Show me one fan who would say no to that. So why on earth would you address anything but praise to that woman? My God. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, yeah. I never understood. understood well, I mean, I understood oh. it to a degree because mm-hmm. of I understood those people, but I hated yeah. that. It's horrific. And uh, Lucasfilm's, Lucasfilm's hard line to not say anything always bugged me. Yeah, I, th- I think I think um, yeah, I think they've I think they've I hope they've learned from that, and I hope they would do differently now. I think we're beginning to see maybe a little bit of a shift in that with the Mandalorian uh, yeah. of re- recent years. But I, I I think that was a mistake, and it really left her high and dry. And I think you know a bit of collectivism and, and drawing together is probably appropriate in those situations. Yeah, excited for that she got Raya though. Yeah, yeah, very much so, and I can cannot wait to see that. I haven't seen it yet, so uh, really looking forward to it. Me too. Um, you spoke about kind of like putting your your um, uh, crit- criticisms at the potentially at the wrong person. Mm-hmm. I was I was recently started watching his dark materials on HBO Max, mm-hmm. which I'm really liking. Um, and I decided to go back and rewatch the Golden Compass. Yeah, uh, 
that's a that's a rough movie. And I yeah. and I I was reading about how Chris uh, Chris White's is the director, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, he spoke to Empire about how the script was taken from him and cut to ribbons, and he left the production and and they recast the studio recast with Ian McKellen to play Yorick. Uh, that's insane that he lost yeah. control of that movie and sucks because it could have been pretty good. Yeah, I think so. Uh, there was well, I actually weirdly outside of my Empire work did a, a podcast called called His Darker Materials, and we've gone episode by episode through the TV show, and we had um, Dakota Blue Johnson who played Lyra in that movie adaptation, uh, and she was talking about why they didn't. I mean, this is a spoiler for a you know twelve year old film here, but why they didn't kill Roger in the in the TV show, um, mm-hmm. which was because uh, Disney said you can't kill a. This is a Disney movie, and you can't kill a kid at Christmas. um so which i get but at the same time like you know that that kind of loses a a pretty important point in the book so it's it's a it's an odd film uh but yeah but that's exactly the kind of thing i'm talking about you don't know at the time when that comes out you know who finished work on the film We, we all know of films where directors were taken off late in the game and still did the publicity rounds but did not have final cut of that film yeah and that happens a fair amount on these big movies and the fandom does not necessarily know what went down at the time it, it goes down. I mean, the Snyder cut, you know, that's an unusually public case mm-hmm. um, just because of obviously the tragedy with, with Zack Snyder's family. That was, that was public, but you know, without that, would we have known how much interference he had and how much he faced to, to try and get that film out the door? I, I don't know that we would. So yeah, it, it, it is just, it's a risk, even aside from the fact that you shouldn't be a dick to people, you're probably being a dick to the wrong person. So yeah. just maybe don't be a dick. That's Except actually our slogan on the show. <laughs> That's a good one. Um, so burnout's a real thing, I, mm. I think, especially when you're in these ty- type of fandom spaces and you're constantly being barraged with things, positive and negative. Um, have you ever experienced burnout? Consider calling it for like a couple months and... Uh, no. And I think I've been quite lucky in that, but I think, so it's for a couple of reasons. Uh, first of all, being empire, we, we kind of almost take turns is the wrong term, but we did kind of take turns, you know, with the big movies, when the, when the big set visits or the big features came up, we'd obviously take turns with them when reviewing films, you know, it would, you'd take turns. You wouldn't always do the film that was going to draw the fandom ire. Um, it's not like even even as something like an Entertainment Weekly, they have a very small number of film journal, you know, film reviewers who handle all the big films. So you're, it's always going to be, or was always back in the day, like an Owen Gleiberman or whoever, um, Anthony Bresnikan or somebody would be doing those big reviews. Um, and we've never had that because we all did everything and we'd all kind of take turns with everything. So no one person became the focus of any kind of attack um, so much. Um, so that was kind of okay. And then since doing going freelance, uh, you know, because I, I, I still work for Empire, I'm editor at large for Empire. So I still very much have a, a kind of a tie to the mothership, mm-hmm. but then I, I can go off and write for other people as well. Um, you know, I kind of move around enough and I, I do enough different stuff that it's it's pretty okay. And I try not to read the comments on places that I know would be contentious. contentious. Um, I used to write for a, a women's magazine online called The Pool, which was a great, great site, but their, you know, their Facebook page was a complete freaking mess. And and some of the comments there were just vicious, really vicious. So I just stopped reading them and that was fine. <laughs> um, and, and I am lucky that I love what I do and I generally love my colleagues that I do it with. So, you know, one of the great things about the Empire podcast, uh, we have been called a pack of giggling idiots, which is totally fair. But what was really nice was it kind of recaptured something that had been the norm in the Empire office um, when I got started. So, of course, this is back in the days. This is the early 2000s when there was money in journalism. I don't know if you've heard of this, other journalists who are listening, but money is a thing that um, makes lives easier. And, you know, so that was in the day where we had enough staff. We had way many more staff in the office than they do now. And we had time to kind of mess about sometimes during the day. And you know, there would be days where somebody like I just was watching sneakers the other day on on TV. And one day people just started quoting lines from sneakers at each other. Why sneakers? I don't know. But it just happened in the office. And we all kind of went with it, you know, and we just go off in these little mad riffs. And by the time we started the podcast, 
you know, the, the, the staff number had shrunk a bit. We were trying to do about 10 times as much stuff with this smaller group of people. We were all kind of stressed out and busy all the time. And the website was a beast that was never fed. Mm -hmm. And, um, and the podcast kind of gave us back a little bit of the, you know, anarchic joy of just hanging out together and talking nonsense about movies. And it genuinely did become a really valuable mental health tool, I think, in a weird way, you know, because for an hour a week, we could just go off into a small room and remember that we liked each other and just talk nonsense about movies. Mm. Not that we didn't do that in the office, but just, you know, not to the same degree because somebody was always working and had to get back to it or whatever else. So the podcast became quite valuable that way. Really noisy thing going past outside. I don't know if you can hear that. That exact same noise happens to my, uh, outside my window sometimes. There you go. Um, so yeah, so it's I, I haven't I haven't had kind of burnout. There have been very very difficult times. Mm-hmm. So the problem with having your dream job, and this is like such a first world problem, it, it doesn't you know it's not even it, it's even more rarefied than that. But when there were when there were those stressful times where we were all trying to do too much, and I felt very up against it and pressured, and there were times when I was like I felt quite isolated in the office. Um, like really stupid thing, but I was on a low carb diet and the guys kept going for noodles mm. and there was nothing on the menu at that place that I could eat at that time. And I was just like, oh, so I would keep not going for lunch. And then I feel kind of isolated and, you know, left behind by all the, the mm. chat that was going on in the office and stuff like that. Um, and, and those days when you feel, when you feel lonely and, or put upon or left behind and you're in your dream job, then you're a bit like, well, wh- where do I go from here? What's mm-hmm. the what's the better option than this? Mm-hmm. And that can be kind of uh, difficult. But again, you know, I cannot stress enough, such a rarefied problem. And it did get better. And we did kind of, you know, all reconnect. And uh, and weirdly, I, I don't even feel that anymore, even though I work from home 90% of the time, even, even aside from pandemics. So, um, yeah, so I, I don't have much to complain of, if I'm honest. I'm, I'm extraordinarily lucky. Well, that's good. It, it, it's, it's even good that you have still felt that during the pandemic because mm. I, I feel quite isolated because of the pandemic you know yeah. i record everything like remotely this. yeah i don't see my friends yeah um but that that's really cool that that it's kind of a it's kind of become a a a, um, a mental health uh it's a release helper. valve almost. Rele- yeah release yeah valve, yeah that's cool i like that mm. um before the pandemic you guys mm. would do live shows yeah um and I just, I'm, this is kind of a selfish question, but I'm dying to know, what does it feel like having a packed house <laughs> that just came to see you? It's really surreal because I genuinely, like, I, I'm not kidding. I, I genuinely, I, I'm not used to it. I don't understand it. It's weird. It's lovely. I'm, I'm incredibly flattered, but I don't expect it, you know? Mm. So, yeah, I mean, the fact that anybody bought tickets to any of them was a delightful surprise to us, if, if I'm honest. Like, every single time nearly they've gone on sale, we've been a bit like, but do we think anyone will come? I mean, we did uh, last year before the pandemic, as in 2019, we did a sort of what we laughingly called a national tour. But we, we went to a few different cities in the UK and we're like, well, OK, we know that people will come in London, that there's enough people that they will come and they will fill this room. But like York or edinburgh we have no idea we have no idea if anybody will turn up so that was a very delightful surprise um yeah i just it's i i don't know i think i genuinely think we have an extraordinarily lovely group of people who kind of read a read the magazine listen to the podcast you know we get such supportive comments i I mentioned this book but like people have been really really kind about the book because of course as soon as I finished writing it I was convinced it was dreadful and would ruin me forever and it still might you know there'll probably be a backlash at some point and people will hate it but you know I've just had nothing but lovely supportive kind comments from readers and I just think that's kind of the, the what we tend to get from people so we're extremely lucky that way there are of course you know there, there'll be a couple of people who'll be snarky every now and again but they're in such a tiny minority and there's so many lovely people i mean people turn up with like home-baked goods and sweets and things for us you know it's it's insanely lovely i just yeah yeah absolutely blown away by it that's that's awesome i i i I get excited when like one person buys a shirt of ours i mean seriously right yeah um yeah even even like the small podcast like like us like you know we become like i talked about it like we become this 
the 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 go to yeah. people for like you are someone that some that someone in that audience wants to know your opinion of the thing and like values it and that's yeah. always such a such a cool feeling I think yeah absolutely and and the fact that you know these are these are smart people and they're they're you know they have their own opinions and it's that kind of almost conversation that goes back and forth as well is is so valuable and so so meaningful you know it's it's really really it's really love it and it is a privilege it genuinely is a privilege that people listen to this stuff and and people you know pay any attention whatsoever because there's so much in the world to to kind of draw people's attention that it is it's really kind of them so yeah i don't know i, don't, I honestly don't know how to talk about it because it's it's unfathomable to me in a way mm -hmm. you know um well that's really all the questions i i have for you um so i want to take this moment to let you plug anything everything you want well i should like i like i say i should mention this book so um it's called Women Versus Hollywood, The Fall and Rise of Women in Film. I think the American physical book isn't out until November. I don't know exactly what date, but November. I believe the audiobook is already on Amazon, etc. Um, but it's kind of my attempt to uh, look at where we are in terms of films and in terms of the lack of representation of women in films, both behind and in front of the camera. And try and figure out how we got here and what are the forces that kind of contribute to this. So I literally start at the dawn of cinema and go mm. right the way through, which was laughably overambitious of me. And it uh, means that I kind of skip merrily through, you know, decades of cinema in each chapter. But I've tried to look at just some of the different issues affecting women in film and, uh, and yeah, hopefully people will enjoy it. But that is out kind of now if you're an audiobook reader and in November if you're not. And then otherwise, of course, I'm on the Empire podcast every week. We have our spoiler podcasts, which are on a separate channel, which go up whenever there's, you know, a big new film or TV show to talk about. And um, and yeah, just in the Empire magazine, whenever uh, it is, I believe, still available in the States, right? In Barnes and Noble, etc. So, yeah, you know, pop by, give us a look. It's really good. And I can say that because I don't work on staff anymore. So you know, I'm not even technically... Um, paid to say that so yeah trust me that's your uh, women versus hollywood that's not your first book that's your second isn't it that's my third yeah the other the, so i did one on the greatest 80s movies and then I did, I did one on superhero movies those are kind of out there i think they're both on amazon.com as well as uh, the uk one but um so they were kind of like i love them and i'm very pleased i did them but they're kind of like almost listicle books you know there's kind mm -hmm. of an essay on each of these films and um so this was my proper first kind of chapter book you know with no pictures mm -hmm. <laughs> which makes me sound like I'm three but there you go <laughs> no that's that's excellent I have yet to be able to have the patience to sit down and write a book so yeah it, it's honestly it this one in particular was like it's because it's long it's like a hundred thousand words and I had to do a lot of research mm -hmm. and uh, I spent a lot of time in the British Film Institute library and then COVID hit mm. which was exceptionally ill-planned of it so I don't know if you if you agree with me here, but I think COVID is bad. So I'm just going to go on. Yeah, I'm just going to go on record with that. And uh, yeah, it it really messed up my research. So I had to get everything um, from home after that. And it was yeah, it was it was a trial. But I'm, I'm I am really proud of how the book turned out, and I hope people enjoy it and take something from it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This was excellent. I cannot thank you enough. I, I, I've told you thank you on, on every time you reply to me to on Twitter, and you'll hear me say it multiple times. I just am so appreciative of this. Oh, thank you. And once again, I cannot say thank you enough. I've been saying thank you a lot to her because it blows my mind that she decided to come on the show. Um, so again, thank you to Helen O'Hara for coming on Conversation, especially when there were no episodes out. It's hard enough getting people on when there are episodes out. Like I said up top, you can find links to wherever you want to find her, such as her Instagrams, her Twitters, um, and her books, all in, all linked below, the description below. So check out that, that description. You can also find where you can find me in the description below. All the Fickner podcast links are there, such as FicknerPodcast.com, where you can find everything, including this show. Uh, make sure to subscribe, tell your friends. I, I think the show is doing pretty well, but, you know, hey, you could always do better. And of course, check out the other shows, Fickner Podcast. This coming week, we're talking about the Mortal Kombat movie on the Fickner Podcast. That's the mothership show for all of our podcasts, such as Basement Arcade, uh, Fickner's Watch, Basement Arcade Pause Menu, uh, Fickner Book Club, 
all, all sorts of things that you can find links below and if you want to be part of this podcast if you have a podcast a geek podcast and you want to do one of these conversations um i'd be really happy to have you on the more the merrier guys i want to do this for as long as i can as long as there are podcasts you know this show will go on so you can definitely email us uh, the email is linked below but hey fake nerd guys at gmail.com and of course i'm at bt mcclure on all the social medias fake nerd podcast on all social medias next week we're going to be talking to michael tanner from the Burn After Pitching podcast from the Grand Geek Gathering Network. Um, that's a good one. I learned a lot about something that I cannot wait to share with you guys. You know, maybe throw a review in the uh, in the old iTunes store if you like this show. I'd greatly appreciate it. Um, make sure to subscribe if you like it. Tell your friends. And until next next week, every Thursday, stay true to the fan and you.